Morning, faith family. I want to say hello to those uh, gathered in Lakeville. Invite you, if you would, to please turn to the book of Revelation. Uh, this morning, I'd like to show you how snow in October is a sign of the apocalypse. And um, I'm quite convinced that's the case. I'm joking. Uh, turn to the book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews. Uh, this morning, we're continuing our series called No Going Back. We've been doing this now uh, several weeks. If you're new with us, uh, we're in a book that's all about, you know, those times in life where you just feel like, I don't know that I can get through this day. I don't know that I can get through this week. It's just hard to keep moving forward in faith. And, and, and this book is written to encourage us and challenge us that no matter what you're going through, there is no going back. Right, You must move forward and press on in your faith uh, in Jesus Christ. And so we'll pick it up in chapter 4 here in just a moment. While you're turning there, uh, I've kind of put before uh, our faith family an end-of-the-year goal as we're going to be sending around 35 people to Guatemala uh, the end of November and the 1st of December to build six homes for families in need. We've put forward a goal of $50,000. I'm excited to say that we are halfway there, and, and I'm so thankful thankful for your participation in that and want to encourage you to kind of finish out that goal over the next few weeks. Uh, You can give to Project CASAS, Project CASAS, uh, and that will go directly to uh, the building of those homes. And we're going to celebrate that together as a faith family at the end of the year. So uh, encourage your support in that uh, if you would. Well, let's pick it up here in uh, Hebrews 4 uh, in verse 14 is where we left off a couple of weeks ago. And so if you're able to stand in all of our locations, would you please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. No, we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is God's word. Would you pray for me and with me as we ask God to come and talk to us through his word? Let's pray. Father, thanks for the time to be together this morning. Uh, It is a joy to worship you with your people Uh, the songs that have been sung, the time together of fellowship, the the prayers. This is, it's good for our soul. And now is a very important time where we hear from you, from your word. 
And Lord, I just pray that these would not be my words, but that I would be faithful to your word and that you would speak to us. So meet us here, we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. He was 12 years old, and he'd always dreamed of going to the circus. So you can imagine the boy's delight when one day he was walking around town and he noticed a poster that was advertising that the circus was coming in one week. The boy ran home as fast as he could. He, he begged his dad if he could have the money to go and, and, and be able to go to the circus. His father didn't have a lot of money, but he couldn't deny the excitement that was in his son's eyes. He told his son, if you finish your chores early this week, I'll make sure you have the money to go. The boy worked hard all week long. He got his chores done, and and Saturday morning came. He came down the steps in his favorite outfit. His father met him and handed him the money, kissed him on the forehead, and like a lightning bolt, he shot out the door. It was almost as though his feet never even touched the ground. He He was just walking on air as he headed towards the town. He was so excited to see the circus. When he got to town, he noticed the crowd was already starting to form. The streets were being lined up with people. He worked his way to the front of the crowd, and and there it was. His eyes big as saucers as he saw the circus parade going through the town. He watched the elephants as they passed, the caged animals, the marching band, the clowns all dressed in their colors, and he stood there with such amazement. And then watched them all disappear into the tent. And what happened next was unfortunate. The boy took his money, handed it to one of the circus workers, turned, and went home. It wasn't because he was unhappy with what he had just seen. It wasn't because he was disappointed in any way. He hadn't lost interest in the circus. He simply didn't know that he could go in. He had mistaken the parade for the actual circus. And there he was with the opportunity to go in and never did. Now, faith family, that's a simple story, but it illustrates a common experience, an experience that I am afraid far too often we experience, namely that you and I, listen, are surrounded by opportunities to experience the fullness of something, and yet often we never do. We're surrounded with opportunities to to experience the fullness of something, but we often never do. For instance, it's that feeling when you leave vacation and you know there was so much more you could have experienced. There were things left to do. Some of you, you look back on a relationship and you wish you'd have spent more time together. You wish you'd have loved more. Others of you, you own a piece of technology and you don't have a clue how to use that thing. You don't utilize half its capacity. <laughs> Others of you you, you, you have that moment where you look in the mirror and it's a moment of honesty and you say, there has to be more to life 
than this. Every one of us, in some way, is just like that little boy in this sense. We have access, we have opportunity, but we do not enter in. Now look at me. That's unfortunate when it comes to technology or vacations. That's tragic when it comes to God. To have access to God's grace, access to God's throne, access to God's presence, access to God, and you don't enter in. Opportunity to draw near to the holy God, and you don't. That's a tragedy. And it's exactly what these Hebrew Christians are at risk of doing. You remember the context. These Hebrew Christians are suffering for their faith. Life is hard. Life is difficult. And they think it would just be a lot easier if we'd go back to Judaism, those old ways, and and forsake our confession of Christ. The author is saying through four chapters, no, 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 no. Don't you even think about that. And he gives them reason after reason why in light of Christ there is no going back. And now, in the passage that we just read a few moments ago, the author wants to make this point clear. If you go back, you won't enter in. If you go back, you won't enter in. Notice the main command here in chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence, say it, draw near, enter in. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The writer is urging them, you got to draw near. You have this incredible opportunity. You have to enter in. Now, this is a theme that the author will pick up again later in the book. Let me show you this quickly, Hebrews 10 verse 19. Notice some of the similar themes here. Therefore, brother, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Here's what he's saying. Everybody, you got an opportunity, Christian. Do you understand the access that you have? Do you realize the opportunity? And I'm just not talking about these Christians. I'm talking about these Christians. The opportunity before you is that you can draw near to God and receive the grace you need to move forward in faith, but if you go back, you won't enter in. And part of the reason why they're struggling here is because they've lost their confidence. Have you ever lost your confidence? 
Have you ever been beaten up so much by life that you really struggle with confidence? That's what's happened here. And so what the author is going to do and what my aim is this morning as your pastor is to fill you with confidence in Christ that you might move forward in faith. Now, he does that, listen, by comparing what they're going back to to what they have in Jesus. And he starts by talking about a system that is the old priesthood that gives no confidence at all. Now, the, this, is, this is part of the struggle of the book of Hebrews. It's going to get down in the weeds of things that we're not familiar with uh, on a daily basis. And he's going to talk about the Old Testament priesthood. So let me just briefly explain what the Old Testament priesthood was and how the author is going to say, you think you're struggling with confidence now, you go back to that, you definitely won't have any confidence. You see, in the Old Testament, uh, if you were to worship, you would go to what was called the tabernacle. You with me? And the tabernacle was divided in three parts. There was the the outer court where, where any Jewish person could go. There was the holy place where only the priests could go. And then there was the holy of holies. And in the holy of holies, only the high priest, one day a year, the day of atonement, was allowed to enter in. Well, it's in the holy of holies where the presence of God would dwell. In other words, to the average Hebrew, pretty much everybody except for the high priest, God's presence was something you didn't have access to. You couldn't enter in. And the reason you couldn't enter in is because, as we even know today, your sins have separated you from God. And so because of this, God established a priesthood. It was temporary, uh, but here's what the priesthood was. Hang with me. Chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, underline that, and to offer gifts and sacrifices, underline that. There are two things specific uh, in this priesthood. Since they could not enter in because of sin, here's what was a part of the priesthood. Number one is you had to have a representative. Because you couldn't go in, somebody had to go in for you. They had to, as the text says, represent men in relation to God. Uh, This is probably not an exact illustration, but it's kind of like the House of Representatives uh, in the sense that we can't all go and vote, so what do we do? We send someone to represent us, kind of like that, or a lawyer in a courtroom, or somebody that is representing someone before the judge. That's the idea here. They can't go in, so somebody has to go in for them. Secondly, is the high priest is offering a sacrifice for sins. They would take an animal, they would kill the animal because the wages of sin is, talk to me, the wages of sin is death. And so they would offer a sacrifice for their sins. Now, I'm not going to go into any more detail on that because it will happen later in the book. Here's the point I want to make because it's the point of this passage. That system gives you no confidence. No confidence at all. And here's why. Two reasons. Number one, because the high priest was a sinner. The text says so. Look at verse 2. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is a num-num. That's what my Bible says. (laughs) Verse 3, 
Because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as for those of the people. In other words, how are you, a sinner, going to have any confidence when your representative is a sinner? That doesn't help you sleep at night. They're just as much of a num-num as you are. They're just as weak as you are. They have to offer a sacrifice for themselves. You're not going to have any confidence that way. Secondly, the reason why it won't give you confidence is because the sacrifice that they're offering is not sufficient. It's temporary. It'll get you through another year. It'll get you through another week. But it doesn't give you anything permanent. The author of Hebrews will say so later in the book. Look at Hebrews 10 and verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? If it was done, wouldn't they stop? Since the worshipers, having been cleansed, would no longer have a consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is, talk to me. It is, talk to me. Lakeville, you with me? It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Here's the point the author is making. Notice it on the screen. The sacrifices never stopped because the sacrifices couldn't save. So in other words, here was the system that was put in place. We've talked about that. Here's what was established, and, and here's the result of it. It still left you wanting more. You'd do it again, and then you'd do it again, and then you'd do it again, and then again the next year. And it was always happening continually because it wasn't final. Now, imagine that's all you had. Imagine that you wanted God. You wanted access to God so much, and yet it didn't matter what you do, you couldn't have it. Imagine that, that no matter what you did in life, you never could find blessed assurance. Well, my friends, that's not just what happened in the Old Testament. That's what's happening now. If you think this reality is still not a reality today, you do not understand your own life. You see, my dear friends, we continually offer sacrifices ourselves. Oh, we don't carry around goats and lambs. At least I hope not. It'd be odd. No one brought that to church today, but make no mistake about it, you offer up sacrifices all the time. If I give more, if I do enough, if I try harder, then God will love me. If you don't believe it, you ask people, do you think you're going to go to heaven? Most people, if they believe in such, will say, yeah, I think I'm going to go to heaven. And you ask, why do you think you're going to go to heaven? And they'll say something like, because I think I'm pretty good. Or I'm better than so-and-so. The, the, the way the human mind thinks is this. This is our default position. We think the key to getting in is giving enough. We do that all the time. All the time. And that is why we busy ourselves all week long in temples made with hands. And it's why, secondly, I know that this is a reality. Many of you lack spiritual confidence. Somebody say, come on, preacher. 
We lack spiritual confidence. Now, I believe that we're a gospel-centered church. Do you agree? I mean, we're not perfect, but we try our best to point you to the gospel every single week. And yet, I know that many of you, even with all the gospel emphasis, still struggle on Monday morning or Wednesday night or at some point with this. Does God really love me? I mean, does he really love me? And do you know why I feel I'm on good grounds to say that? This may encourage you or deeply discourage you because I struggle with that. And I'm a gospel preacher. And yet there are those moments when you have to actually apply what you amen. The danger for us, faith family, is we think the phrase, it is finished, is something to amen rather than apply. And if I say, it is finished in Jesus, it is preach, preacher. But do you apply that Wednesday morning? When you thought that thing, you did that thing, you experienced that, and you feel like, I don't think there's any way God could love me Now, I'm telling you, there are lots of people here today that are struggling with spiritual confidence, which, by the way, is why you keep offering sacrifices. And here's the danger. You with me, faith family? Here's the danger. A lack of spiritual confidence will eventually bring a sinful collapse. In other words, you will go back because you're not confident enough to move forward. Amen? You go back because you lost your confidence. Suffering smacked you in the face and you lost confidence either in yourself or in God. And the easy thing to do is go back. So you say, Pastor, how do I get that confidence? to draw near? How do I get that confidence to enter in? Oh, I'm so glad you asked me that question. You do what the author's been trying to get you to do for four chapters now. You look to Jesus. That's what you do. You fix your eyes on the person of Christ. Look at chapter 4, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus The Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. In other words, listen, everybody right here, Lakeville, everybody, if all you had was your sacrifices of good deeds, if all you had was a representative to go on your behalf, if that's all you had, you'd have no basis of confidence but you don't have that, you have Christ. That's who you have if you're a Christian. Five people are excited. Lakeville's exploding with applause, right? You have, that's what he's saying. You, you don't have that anymore. You have Jesus now. And when you realize who Jesus is, you have all the confidence you need to enter in. If you'll just look at him this morning, if you'll look to him by faith this morning, here's what you're going to see, four things. Number one, you're going to see that Jesus offered a greater sacrifice. The text says he passed through the heavens. Ain't no Old Testament sacrifice ever done that. 
He passed through the heavens. He's the once for all sacrifice for sins. Notice this on the screen. This, is, this one gets me excited. The priest offered a sacrifice for himself. Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice. Oh my, do you realize the difference of that? Their representative in the priesthood had to offer a sacrifice for himself because he's just as weak and sinful as the people he's representing. But Jesus is so perfect. Jesus is so holy. Jesus was so obedient. He doesn't offer a sacrifice for himself. He offers himself. He's the once for all final sacrifice for sin. He's the greater sacrifice. And there is no sacrifice you can ever offer in this life that we even come close to that. Amen, Christian? Secondly, if you'll just look to him this morning, you'll get the confidence that you need to keep moving forward because you're going to see that Jesus has a greater status. He doesn't just offer a greater sacrifice. He has a greater status. Look at verse 5 of chapter 5. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. In other words, uh, Jesus, unlike the, the high priest before, Jesus is the son of God. He's the God man. Do you know what that means? I'm about to tell you. Here's what it means. No one can represent you before God better than Jesus, better than the Son of God. Not your mama, not your pastor, not Virgin Mary. Nope. Yeah, I said it and it's recorded, right? Nobody can represent you before God better than the Son of God. They are just human beings. He's the God man, He's the Son. So who's representing you? Who's representing you before God? You? That's a terrible idea. And I like you. But it's awful. Don't do that. Stop. What, your, your parents, your church, your pastor, your... No, 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 no. No one comes close to the status Jesus has. He's the God-man, which means there is only one mediator between God and men. That's the man, Christ Jesus. Would you just look to him? Look to him. You'll get the confidence you need to keep moving forward because you're going to see he offers the greater sacrifice. You're going to see that he has the greater status. And thirdly, you'll see that he offers a greater sympathy. Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 15. Oh, what a sweet verse. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. That's good news. Jesus shows sympathy to the sinner. Now, the word sympathy here doesn't mean nobody will feel more sorry for you than Jesus. That's not what that means. He is not going to be like, oh, you have it so bad. I know I died on the cross for your sins, but you have it really, really bad, okay? Not that Jesus would be that sarcastic. I would, but not Jesus, right? That's not what sympathy means. Uh, sympathy is this. 
He will relate to you and he will help you. Now, you might push back on that and say, Pastor, um, how can Jesus relate to me in my struggle with sin when he never sinned? Isn't that a real question? How can Jesus really relate to me in my struggle with sin when he never committed any? The text says so itself, yet without sin. Well, I think C.S. Lewis provides an illustration that helps clarify this. He says, imagine that there are two men that have lifted a heavy weight above their head. So just picture this. Question, who understands the heaviness more? The one who gives in and drops the weight or the one who never gives in? Answer, the one who feels the heaviness the most is the one who never drops the weight. In other words, Jesus knows the weight of temptation even more than you because he never gave into it. You never felt the full weight because you gave in. He felt the full weight because he never did. In fact, look at what the text says in chapter 5, verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. You ever been there? To him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Listen, my dear friend, Lakeville, come on, everybody right here. If you think the pressure is on you to give in, imagine how much pressure Satan put on Christ to give in. Because we're nothing compared to him. So think of the weight that he carried for us. And here's the application. If you're dealing with temptation of going back, run to the one that never gave in. Oh, come on, come on. I'm all for you going to a friend. I'm all for you going to a pastor. I kind of like those. I'm all for you going to a parent. These are good things. But you have to understand that when you do that, you're going to somebody who has given in as well. So please, please, please ultimately go to the one that can actually help you who has actually carried the weight, and he will give you confidence to enter in. Fourthly and lastly, look to Jesus for your confidence today, because when you do, you will see that Jesus offers a greater supply, a greater supply. Look at chapter 4, verse 16. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of what? That we might receive what? And find what? To help in time of need. That's, you, you might want to memorize that verse. Jesus supplies you with grace. Now, I don't think grace here is meant to be saving grace, though I certainly believe that's true. I believe you do realize there's other types of grace that's talked about in Bible, in the Scripture. Are you with me? Paul says, for instance, I labored more than them all, but not I. It was the grace 
of God in me. In other words, grace is not just a saving grace, it's an enduring grace. It's what gives you strength in weakness. So everybody zone in right here. If you go to a priest, they will give you another sacrifice to perform. If you go to Jesus, he will give you grace to persevere. That's a big difference. What do you want? Say 15 Hail Marys? Or I'm actually going to supply you with what you need to keep going. He will give you the confidence you need to move forward in faith. Notice it on the screen. Do not neglect Jesus in your suffering, for he gives grace to endure suffering. Christian, do not cut off your grace supply. Don't go back. Don't go back. Well, here's a few points of application, and we'll, we'll wrap it up. First is this, right? I can't wait to see the emails I get this week. Do not go to a priest. That's, that's a pretty obvious uh, application from the text. Do not go to a priest. Go to the priest. Now, some of my Protestant friends who have gathered here today um, love to use this passage and say things like, see, told you we didn't need a priest, and you're wrong. You better believe you need a priest. Your priest is Jesus Christ. He's your high priest. He is seated at the right hand of God, and you better be very thankful he's making intercession on your behalf. This text does not teach you don't need a priest. It teaches you have a priest in Jesus. Go to him. Go to him. Secondly, do not worship a man. By that I mean mankind, human beings. Do not worship a human being. Worship the God-man. Do not worship a man. Worship the God-man. I take this from the fact that the high priest, that is in the old priesthood, though they had a position worthy of honor, listen, were human just like you. Now, I point this out because I've seen it happen a lot where there, there are people here today, you have idolized a parent, you have idolized a pastor, you have idolized a friend, you have idolized a human being. And that, my friends, will bring a crisis to your faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Worship Jesus. Honor others. Worship him. Because your faithfulness cannot be based upon the faithfulness of another person. It must be based on Christ alone. Amen? Don't worship a man. Worship the God-man. Thirdly, do not offer a sacrifice for sin. Do not offer a sacrifice for sin. Rather, accept his sacrifice for sin. And, and I mean this twofold. Number one, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I am pleading with you as a dying man to dying men, trust Christ today. Stop offering your own sacrifices, thinking that you'll be good enough. Brother, sister, he is good enough. He's all that you need. Receive him. Receive him today. Others of you, you're Christians, and what I mean by this is 
move out of just the amening, it is finished, into applying, it is finished. Where you don't have to walk around every day to, to your, your family, your job, your school, constantly offering, was this good enough? Was this good enough? Did I please you today? And you just rest in the fact that it's finished. You've accepted his sacrifice rather than offering up your own because the Christian life is not intended to be a sacrifice for sin. It's intended to be a sacrifice of worship. That'll preach. Your life, Christian, is to be a sacrifice, yes, but of worship, not for sin. Not to get forgiveness, but because you're forgiven. That's a radical change in the way you think about your life. Lastly, is do not, and this is really the aim of the passage, do not live in condemnation of sin. And that's where some of you are today. You've lost all confidence. Rather, live in the confidence of the Savior. Don't live in the condemnation of sin. Live in the confidence of the Savior. You say, yeah, pastor, but I've done this and I've done that and I've gone here and I've this and I've that and I've And here's what I want to say. For heaven's sake, realize it's not about you. Here's my counsel to you. Stop it. Stop saying, but what I've done and start saying, look at what he's done. That's the point. This isn't based on you, praise God. It's based on him. And if this is just about what you've done, it's always going to be condemnation. But once it becomes about what he has done, then it's about confidence in Christ. And that'll change your life. Because at the end of the day, it ain't about you. It's about who's representing you. Write that down. It ain't about you. It's about who's representing you. Because, honey, the song ain't blessed assurance. Look what I've done. It's blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. That's confidence. Don't be like that little boy this morning. All caught up in the crowd, watching all the activities of church, even dropping in your money before you go home. Only the entire time to have had access and never entered Because just because you have the opportunity doesn't mean you take advantage of it, of the grace that's offered to you today. So I ask you, will you draw near? And you say, I can't. You don't know what I've done. And I say, you're right. But I know what he has done. And that, my friends, is all you need to have confidence to enter in. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this uh, encouraging word. I, I know that there are people here today, maybe all of us in some way, that we, we've been beaten around so much that that confidence begins to waver. 
And we just needed today to look to our Savior, to look at who he is and what he's done for us, that we might grow in confidence and be strengthened in him so that we won't go back, but we'll press forward in faith. And so I I pray for that person here uh, that that doesn't know you, they've never trusted you, They, they really think that they'll sacrifice enough. And they wonder why they lack confidence. And I just pray that today would be that day where they would say enough is enough. I'm accepting that he's enough. That they would surrender by faith to Jesus. And others in this room to to be built up as Christians to, to press forward in faith because of who you are. God, just meet us here and strengthen us by your grace. Let us draw near to your throne. In Christ's name, amen.